Welcome. You are listening to Intentional Conversations from Nika White Consulting, an encore presentation of our weekly podcast where we intersect diversity, equity, and inclusion with leadership and business. Let the conversation begin. Without further ado, today we have, I want to welcome today's co-host, Janelle Benjamin. And I'm going to tell you a little bit about Janelle Benjamin, who is here with us, and I'm going to highlight her. Um, Janelle Benjamin uh, has a BA and a JD and is the founder and CEO of All Things Equitable, Inc., a global management consulting firm addressing inequities and workplace for all historically marginalized groups. It helps organizations to be diverse, inclusive, safe, and supportive of the mental health and well-being of all their people. Janelle obtained a Bachelor of Arts from the University of Toronto. She obtained her law degree with a litigation certificate of concentration from Western Michigan Cooley Law School. She has a certificate in process management from Excellence Canada, a certificate in workplace mental health leadership from Queen's University, and a certificate in reconciliation education for the workplace from First Nations University of Canada. Janelle is also a certified diversity and belonging facilitator and is certified in joint health and safety for management under Occupational Health and Safety Act Ontario. Janelle, as we always do in this forum, after reading the bio, we will ask you to introduce yourself to our community um, and maybe tell us something that is not expressed or shared within this bio. So Janelle, I'm gonna turn the floor over to you. Thank you so much, Rachel, uh, for welcoming me to the show. Um, and something that's not typically expressed is that I, I'm an introvert. And so that very lengthy <laughs> introduction um, is highly embarrassing, um, but very, very lovely um, that you took the time to, to do that, to profile me and to um, share. Just another thing that is just about me, I'm you know first-generation Canadian based in Toronto, Canada. Um, my parents immigrated from the Caribbean um, and so my roots are for, you know through Trinidad and Tobago and I see the world through um, the lens sometimes of my immigrant parents and, and the barriers that they faced um, and the barriers that I still face and continue to face here. And so a lot of the work that I do is um, intersectional based on both my lived experience as well as my professional experience. And so I've suffered my own harms and traumas and things through the workplace. And so I kind of roll that all up into uh, one endeavor to support organizations and how to, how to stop the harms and experiences that so many people have in the workplace. So thank you again for, for inviting me. Thank you, thank you so much. And I'm gonna go right into some of the things that I'd like to discuss with you. Amora, um, who you did the prep call with, let me know that there was a documentary or a series on Netflix to watch. And the series is uh, White Hot, The Rise and Fall of Abercrombie and Fitch. And it centers around exclusivity and exclusion. So I watched it yesterday and my eyes were this big because I was thinking of all the advertising that I had been a part of and just watching how people would go to malls and their target market and how, just how everything happened. So would you like to share with us, please, how DEI practitioners can prevent or transform a workplace rife with exclusionary practices and culture? And also, 
why that documentary on Netflix, which I think everybody should watch, is, is something that you're very interested in. Yeah, first of all, that documentary, um, you know, I, it was buzzing around, right? I started to hear about it and I'm like, okay, what is this documentary everyone's talking about? White Hot, Ibercrombie, what, what's going on here? Um, it's on Netflix and I took a look and um, it, it spoke to me personally, right? As a diversity, equity and inclusion practitioner, um, it, it does speak to the realities that we face and the practicalities of doing this work in spaces where, you know, sometimes our recommendations are not always considered and organizations are largely homogenous um, and exclusive and deliberately exclusionary um, of certain groups of people. And so, um, you know, the documentary, not to spoil it for, for a lot of people, if you haven't seen it, um, it just focuses on the brand, the Abercrombie and Fitch brand. And, you know, if you grew up in, uh, you know, the 90s and 2000s in the United States and maybe parts of Canada, you were definitely wearing Abercrombie and Fitch. And, um, you know, it was this sort of trendy, clothing line for, you know, the upper middle class white teen who, you know, wanted to look a certain way. And then of course, all the, the visible minorities, right? The people of color, black, browns, uh, who wanted, brown people who wanted to, um, to quote unquote, fit in. Um, and so, you know, first things first, I would say, you know, an organization that sort of builds itself on exclusivity and exclusion as the Abercrombie brand did, right? who looks the part, who, who acts the part, who behaves the part um, in order to be an employee here. Um, you start by preventing it, first of all, as, a, as a, a staff member, as a diversity and inclusion practitioner, as anybody in that space to just speak truth to power, right? Um, when you see the practices and you see the exclusionary behaviors, just first and foremost, call it out. Um, as a practitioner myself, um, I would want to transform that place by you know, undertaking a review find out where is exclusion happening in the organization, right? It may not be everywhere. Um, in Abercrombie's case, it was across the entire organization. Um, they definitely were, you know, putting forth a certain brand and a certain look and feel. But sometimes when you're, you're working at particularly a large corporation, that exclusion may not be everywhere, right? It may be in certain pockets of the organization, certain departments may be having more exclusionary practices than others. So undertaking a review, figure out, okay, what groups um, are we not seeing? What are the barriers for their full participation? Understand why that exclusion is happening and then plan strategically to transform the place, right? So you're checking your pipeline. Um, sometimes that exclusion is happening because of just geography, right? Where's the organization based? Um, they want to be diverse, they want to be inclusive, but they're, they're struggling because, you know, they can't get people to come physically where they are. Where they are. Sometimes uh, it happens because they're sourcing from the wrong places, right? Where they're posting their job ads or they're using the wrong recruitment firms. Um, so, you know, a review will help you to understand exactly, okay, why is this uh, exclusion truly taking place? And then again, you can plan strategically to, to take deliberate actions to get the representation that you want um, where you need it most. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. As, as I was watching the the, the Netflix series last night, um, one of the things that kept coming up for me was um, people who did not fit the mold of the advertising or people who were not targeted, right, for the brand, wanted to be a part of that brand. And um, the words white supremacy culture kept coming up for me. Um, what are your thoughts about that? When people are being intentionally exclusionary and yet still people who are not to be included in that want to be a part of it. 
Yeah, uh, intentional exclusion and white supremacy culture um, is a thing, right? It happens so much where, um, you know, the, the standard for us all has sort of been predefined, right? Even before our birth, right? We see it in, in movies and, and images, uh, communications, messages, and, and the things that we constantly are internalizing. Um, what resonated for me is that, you know, a lot of times people of color themselves, they also want to, to fit in. Um, and they, you know, the differences among us and between us are, are sometimes highlighted or exposed when we're in spaces where we're the only one, right? Where we're, we're tokenized um, and we're, you know, acting the part, playing the part, we're code switching, we're, we're behaving in ways outside of our uh, character outside of our typical culture, whatever that might be, um, because, you know, we want to sort of blend in, right? We don't want to stand out. We don't want to um, be hyper visible. Um, and so it, it does speak to the sort of like whitewashing of our, of our experiences of, of who we are. Um, and it, it really isn't what we should be striving for in our society, right? Everybody should be able to be free to show up authentically as themselves without um, minimizing um, and downplaying who they are. Right, right. I wanted to change it a little bit and talk about how you were previously a lawyer and ask how did your law career influence or lead you to diversity, equity, and inclusion work? Oh, I would say that my, my work has begun long before um, the law degree. I would say I was probably on the path for a very, very long time, you know, the earliest things I can remember are just, you know, just always being justice-minded as a child, you know, your family member says the wrong thing and you're like, uh, what are you saying? You know, that's discriminatory or that's offensive or like, no, you know, the, the racial slurs that you sometimes hear, you know, in your own family, you just, you check them, the, the stereotypes that people kind of hurl to their mouths and so you know I've always been that person to speak up and speak out when um, people are being discriminated against or, or uh, you know described in ways that are um, unflattering or you know you're using um, inappropriate or offensive language and then um, I would say it led me to to you know even to high school and I look back on you know we had a, a holocaust survivor come in to share his stories with us and I was so intrigued, you know, I read the diary of Anne Frank and I was so engrossed in this little girl's story and I couldn't not even imagine that, you know, people were being treated differently by just having this, um, the star of David. Um, and so, you know, instinctively, it, it just always felt wrong. I, you know, my earliest experience with racism myself was from a Filipino um, girl in, in kindergarten. You know, I remember one of my first school days in junior kindergarten, my mom loves to tell this story. Um, waiting on the school bus, a little girl um, others me, and she she says, you know, we're all telling stories about where we're from, and all the little kids, oh, I'm from Canada, I'm from this place, I'm from that, you know, it comes to me, and I share that, you know, I'm also from Canada, and, you know, she looks at me, and she says, matter of fact, well, you're, you know, you're not, no, you're not, you're from Blackland, and I was like flabbergasted, I ran to my mother, and I was like, is, where is this Blackland, is this a real place, why have you lied to me, like, I thought it was from Canada and now she's telling me that I'm not from here. And my mom was, of course, you go tell that little girl that that's where you're from. And that stayed with me. It let me know that people will other you in, in your own country, right? People will tell you where you belong. It happens time and time again. And how we saw it through the pandemic with Amy Cooper telling Christian Cooper in the park, 
you know, the dog walk, walker in uh, Central Park, um, that he didn't belong there, right? Um, and it was probably the impetus for this business. But along the way, you know, I studied sociology in, in um, undergrad, women's and gender studies, you know, the sociology of HIV and AIDS. Um, you know, if I look back, it, it's it's sort of like this eventual path to, to law school, to, you know, human rights, international law studies, to, you know, graduating and working at the Ontario Human Rights Commission, to, you know, working for, on behalf of, uh, you know, Im immigrants, uh, the immigrant serving community here in the immigrant sector, um, supporting the, the integration of professionals with highly skilled qualifications from all over the world to work in their professions. And then going and breaking barriers similarly for people with disabilities, implementing legislation and policies and, and, and reviewing practices with a variety of organizations. So I've done that work um, for a very, very long time. Um, and again, it, it's just at the core of who I am, recognizing this is, this is not just, this is not fair, this is not right, and constantly speaking out about it. Um, and then my path to this work um, and my own company, the founding, truly did emerge post-George Floyd, um, you know, but still I would say it was more Amy Cooper that was the impetus for me to say no, no more, right? Enough of people telling us where we belong, telling us the spaces where we, we can and show up, should exist. Um, I definitely have the skills and the, the abilities to, to help organizations because I've been doing it for such a long time. Um, I'm just going to do it independently now for myself. Nobody, nobody's going to tell me again that I don't belong in that workplace. They're not going to terminate me. I will um, show up authentically all the time and, uh, and be myself and support uh, the changes that I want to see in society so that my kids don't have to go through it. Right, right. So you talked about the, the intersection of social justice and racial equity, how that mm -hmm. was an impetus for you setting up your, your company, All Things Equitable. Yeah. How do you take an incident, though, like... Um, the park incident, right? The, mm -hmm. you, you know, what happened with the, the dog, right? How do yeah. you take that incident? How do you take George Floyd and apply that to a corporate setting? Especially when you're showing up in that corporate setting and the mindset is that's out there, that's not in here. Yeah, I think a lot of organizations are jumping on the bandwagon right now. Sorry, so it, it almost makes my work, my entry point a little bit easier because somebody has compelled them to reach out um, to, to receive support. Um, right. Whether some of them want to do it some, or they're being forced to do it by their board, their stakeholders. For me, the, the, it's no, of no import, right? The, the matter is the work is being done, the work needs to be done. And I see you know, social justice and, and equity work as being um, intertwined, right? We need to address the disparities, uh, the wealth gap, um, the opportunity gaps, who has access, who doesn't have access, who has power, who has privilege, and who doesn't um, in our society. And so my work um, within organizations is reviewing their systems, looking at precisely those things, um, who gets promoted, who gets um, mentored, um, who doesn't, why are they not, why is that not happening? And providing um, sometimes those recommendations and suggestions to them. And when, you know, you kind of put it straight in their face, they can't, um, they can't run from it, right? The truth kind of hits them. Sometimes they know, they know instinctively that they've been operating in a certain way. Um, but when it's laid out in black and white and, you know, there are timelines and implementation strategies and plans tied to it, then, you know, they have to get to work. Mm, thank you. You're 
You recently had a LinkedIn post pick up traction regarding um, the hiring and firing of women of color mm. at Netflix. Mm. <laughs> Could you please um, share with our uh, with our community today um, and describe what is pet to threat and oh. how this happens mm -hmm. to people of color? Sure. So, yeah, that post went viral, didn't it? I didn't expect quite so many views. It's, you know, almost 50,000 views now. And um, it just, it was this, uh, a press release that I saw that Netflix had just recently terminated um, majority people of color, majority black women from their workplace. And again, you know, there's that reminder of experiences that have happened to me personally um, and to uh, many, many women, right? I'm having conversations with women through um, my own YouTube series, um, you know, I know we're, we're going to talk about um, twice as hard, right, that phenomenon that we do work twice as hard in the workplace, and, and I'm realizing that the experiences that I've had, so many Black women have had across the diaspora, no matter where, if you're in the UK, you're in the Caribbean, you're in the Americas somewhere, you've had these experiences where you're kept out um, systemically, and PETA threat is a phenomenon that has been studied um researched um and proven so it's not you know up for debate that black women are indiscriminately um terminated at a certain point um in their journey in the workplace um once of course they're not unionized they're they're out of um the way of protections by a union um employers are you know eagerly bringing us in you know we're um the, you know, the, the quote unquote teacher's pet, the office pet, for want of a better phrase, um, you know, the shining star, because of course we come in with all the qualifications and all the credentials and um, all the know-how and insights and skills that they can bear. But somewhere along the way, there's somebody's threatened by us, right? Our light is too bright. We're too smart. We're too um, outspoken. We're too creative. You know, we just look the part, we look too damn good, right? Somebody along the way um, is not appreciative of the way that we're showing up, the way that we're presenting. They start to marginalize us. They start to, you know, uh, diminish us. They don't want to, they no longer want to hear our ideas. We get spoken over, we get tone policed. Um, all of those things start happening eventually, you know, to our termination. And there's, you know, diagrams about this and there's, you know, proven studies that, you know, this pet to threat phenomenon impacts us. Um, more than anybody else, right? It's that intersection of us be, being both female and black, right? We're, we're meeting sexism and racism simultaneously, anti-black racism um, simultaneously through this phenomenon. I know personally for me, the whole pet to threat, um, the pet, I felt the pet to threat thing happened to me because I went through a process as a black woman of unlearning certain things and beginning to find my voice in corporate America. So certain things that I maybe before would have tolerated, now I wasn't tolerating, now I was speaking up. And then that's when you're kind of transitioning from, okay, she wasn't rocking the boat. Why is she rocking the boat? You know, she's not, she's not just sitting there smiling and complying. So I, I went through that too, and I, I totally understand it, so. Yeah, that's exactly it, right? We, we have a voice. And when we start to use that voice, ironically, in ways that they've hired us, you know, for, right? Like I remember in places where I was a policy advisor, literally paid to give you advice. And when I tell you, I give you the, op I, the advice, I give you the options. Of course, the options are yours, but when you, you know, you discount the entire thing, it's like, okay, uh, here we go again, right? The, 
it starts to happen um, in, in small ways and then bigger ways. And then, you know, you can see the writing on the wall, right? Um, right. The last time I was um, going to be terminated from the workplace, I, I knew it was going to happen because I'd been through it once before. Um, and the very last time I was like, okay, here we go again, right? I start working on my exit strategy because I'm like, mm. when you start to marginalize me, you start stop giving me work assignments. You, you know, you no longer are talking to me in meetings. You know, you're looking to the left of me, the right of me, you're, you're talking, you know, above and brown and, and you're not talking directly to me. I know that the writing is on the wall, right? I'm no longer right. a value of service and uh, my days are numbered. And so, yeah, black women do wise to, um, you know, prepare for that pet to threat phenomenon, right? Stack your pennies, stack your chips, particularly if you're in a leadership position, um, because the day will come when, you know, uh, they will walk you out the door uh, without cause, right? There's always that lovely little clause in your contract um, that allows them to do that to you without um, consequence, um, unless you can negotiate to not have it in, which probably won't happen. Um, and they know that this is happening, right? They, this is a phenomenon that they know is playing out and, and they allow it. They put that provision in your contract purposely so that they can, they can have the, the power over you, right? You need to behave um, in order to keep, your, to keep your job and keep your, your income. So, you know, what a day it is when we no longer need the income, right? We've saved our money, we've got our side hustles and um, we don't actually need that, that income. We don't need to take the abuse and the thing and the treatment that we receive. And what you said earlier on not totally makes sense. You said, I now have my own company. Mm -hmm. I'm my own boss and nobody can ever fire me again. You're calling no. the shots. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah. And I will speak truth to power until, <laughs> until I no longer have a voice. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, you alluded to your YouTube series mm -hmm. um, and you said that it's, um, I guess the premise of the YouTube series is um, discussing how Black women must yeah. work twice as hard to get ahead mm -hmm. in their careers. Mm -hmm. um, what has your audience learned through these stories? Oh, so much. Um, first of all, they've learned that we are just an excellent group of people, right? Black excellence is a thing, um, as, and particularly the Black excellence that comes with being you know, a Black woman. Um, we are overqualified. Um, we've worked twice as hard. We have all the credentials, all the certification, um, more so than anybody else, right? We saw that with the Honorable Katanji Brown Jackson um, through the Supreme Court um, nomination and hearing process that, you know, she has uh, more qualifications and credentials than anybody else, right? So they've learned that, um, you know, at our core, we've had these, this idea um, entrenched in us, right? From our family members, um, through the legacy of slavery that we need to, to work twice as hard um, in order to achieve anything in our society, right? Um, they've learned a lot about the systemic harms that we've also experienced in the workplace, things like pet to threat, um, but also things like, you know, microaggressions that we experience, um, how we, uh, you know, notions of professionalism, um, what that does to us, right? When we have to, um, you know, relax our hair and we can't, show up with the locks and the and the braids and you know we sometimes hide the fact that we're neurodivergent right we we have disabilities that we don't share or disclose for fear um, that we're going to be oppressed or treated differently we've learned through the series you know what happens when we um we come from a predominantly uh black country right we don't have these experiences of being othered or being told um that you know, we're not as good or qualified and we don't have the pet to threat phenomenon playing out 
but what happens when we actually come and we interact with them in white spaces, right? I've spoken to Jackie Abram about, you know, just the racial trauma of being black, you know, Elizabeth Leiba, we talked about why it's important that we deconstruct these notions of professionalism, um, that we call things out. Um, black women learn a lot through the series too, right? About how to protect themselves in the workplace and how to show up authentically. Um, but employers learn a lot, right? About how to just truly center wellness for us, um, how to allow us to show up authentically and be ourselves. Um, and so that we don't have these experiences. They've just basically learned a lot about how to just stop the harms um, that are so commonplace. Again, no matter what part of the Americas we are in, once we are interacting, you know, I've got viewers from France and from Canada and the United States and even from the Caribbean, people who've lived their lives in the Caribbean and then migrated elsewhere, right? They've learned that, um, you know, it's, we're not all making it up. <laughs> right. You need to believe us, right? There's an right. episode actually that call, says believe Black women um, because what we tell you is happening to us is real, right? To stop the gaslighting and stop pretending that, you know, what we're expressing and sharing isn't actually real. And it's so necessary because we need to, change comes from when people share stories. And, and I know that even as a, a woman, a Black woman in corporate America, I've learned from listening to other people's stories. And, mm -hmm. and the narrative of the Black woman in America, and just I think in the corporate world has changed. Because I remember when I started working, um, we had to have our hair relaxed. We were trying to... Mm be as white as possible. We were trying to fit in as much as possible. Yeah. And, um, you know, now with the Crown Act, that narrative has changed. And I know even for myself, I said this earlier on, I'm having to unlearn certain things that were just given, you know, it was just a given. If you made it in, you mm -hmm. quote unquote, you pulled yourself up by your bootstraps. And if you made it in, you weren't rocking the boat and there were just certain rules of engagement. So mm -hmm. That space that you have on the YouTube channel is a very necessary um, space for, for women of color and hopefully allies, people who are not Black, go and listen so that they can begin to understand the plight of the Black woman uh, within corporate America. We are not always angry Black women and we no. have that attached to us, you know? So yes. I know because I was always trying to not appear to be angry and Black, I sat and I kept very quiet. I spoke mm -hmm. in low tones. I wasn't as animated because I was trying to fit in. Yes. So, you know, you're not bringing your whole self to work because you're working with all, within all these um, <laughs> systems yes. that you're just trying to be a part of. So, yes, you're trying to survive, right? We're literally trying to survive. And then these labels get put upon us um, like angry, like aggressive, like loud. Um, that are so problematic, right? We talk about that. There's an episode talking about labeling and othering other Black women. I um, mean, that happens to us so often. Um, we're, not a, we're not given the grace or the space and the permission to just sometimes be angry like everybody else. It is a natural emotion. And, and if we get angry, why, do, why does that label have to be applied? You're infuriating us. And then you're victimizing us again by throwing the label on top of us, right? If, if I'm angry, it's for a reason. It's not irrational behavior to sometimes be angry, right? When we're dealing with race, racism and harms and traumas in the workplace, right. it is a natural response, right? Mm -hmm. And so for us to have to push that down, it is harmful. It is it's harmful. 
um, and it that it will come out in other ways, right? And because we we repress it so much, sometimes it just it just flies out. Um, doesn't always make us look cool or un, but you know we look uncouth, but who cares, right? right. Because we've been through so much, and um, we can be triggered, and the traumas that we have are totally real, and so we have a right to to respond in in the normal human range of emotions as everyone else without the labels coming and being applied to us. How can Black women protect their well-being and mental health while also fighting for the respect that they deserve? Set boundaries. Step one, right? Know yourself, know what your boundaries are and stand by them, right? Don't allow people to um, railroad you, right? I, I have to set them in my business. Um, I've had to set them even in places where I've worked before, right? What will you, what assignments are you going to take? What assignments will you not take, right? If you, they've hired you for one job and they're asking you to make coffee every morning, is that something that you're willing to do, <laughs> right? Um, so start there, right? Start by um, figuring out what your boundaries are. I would also say, make sure you have outlets for your emotional well-being, right? Whether that's speaking to, you know, a therapist, a friend, a spouse, you're going for a walk, um, you know, do something that allows you to release the things that are, are, are happening to you and share them. Don't bottle them in. Sometimes I, it's happened to me, you know, we bottle them in, we suppress them. And then, you know, we, we're venting to our friends over the lunch break, or, you know, we're calling our spouse on the, on the drive home, screaming and yelling about exactly what happened to us. Yes, get a black therapist. I see that Bianca tomorrow. Um, yes, get a therapist, right? It's, there's no shame uh, in seeking out mental health support and resources, accessing them and, and, and getting the treatments that we need. Um, and I would also say do things for black joy, like just to be not just black joy, but just joy generally, right? If you are racialized in the workplace, you are experiencing traumas and harms. I don't care what your background is, right? If you are Jewish or Arab or, you know, Middle East, whatever it is, you are experiencing um, things and harms that, um, you know, just because we live in this white supremacist system that others us um, and doesn't expect the, the best of us. So do things for joy, do things that make you happy. Um, that's restor restorative as well. I would add, go watch your, your, your YouTube channel for tips. <laughs> yeah, there's, oh, there's tons of tips. I mean, that's a, a space I, I say for inclusive leaders, right? If you are an inclusive leader, you're there, you know, on the All Things Equitable YouTube channel, watching and listening, taking notes and learning. There is something in every single episode, I promise you, no two stories are the same. No two episodes are the same. Every single time I'm having these conversations, I'm learning and I'm listening um, as well. And I think it's important that if, you know, you claim to be an ally, um, you're actually doing the work to center the voices of the people who are the most marginalized in our society and you're actually listening. And, and a forum like that allows people to know that I'm not alone and I'm not crazy. Because sometimes when you walk away from work, you feel like, was that me? Like you said, gaslighting, right? You feel yes. like you're crazy, but when you hear the stories of other people, you know, you realize that you're not alone in this journey and people have lived through it and have ways that they have come to figure out how to resolve it. So um, yeah. I want to pivot a little bit. You mentioned Jewish, whoever you are, Jewish, whatever. Mm -hmm. I wanted to talk to you about religious accommodations. Sure, uh, yes. <laughs> specifically when it comes to Black female 
Muslims, right? Mm -hmm. And I've just finished reading a book um, written by a Black female Muslim called Me and White Supremacy. Okay. I don't know if anyone here has read it, but it totally breaks down and it's written for the allies, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it's she is a Black female Muslim living, um, I think, in the United Arab Emirates. But are religious accommodations given enough consideration when it comes to DEI work? And mm -hmm. specifically, um, thinking of Black female Muslims. All right, where do I start? There was definitely a whole lot of uh, consideration for you know religious accommodations when it came time to you know almost discriminate against people on religious grounds when you know people didn't want to get vaccinated. Okay, I don't know what was happening in the states, but vaccine policies and mandates emerged all over in every organization because it was like uh, go get a, a note from your religious clergy clergy person and and you know. We're gonna discount that and tell you that we're not gonna accommodate you and you gotta go get vaccinated, right? There was forced um, vaccination. So there's definitely not a, enough attention that is being paid for the need for a religious accommodation or even the support for religious practices in the workplace. Um, it is an afterthought, um, even in corporate demographic service, I was reviewing one just yesterday and I had to remind a client, you know, you've asked about age and you've asked about sexual orientation, you've asked about gender, you've asked about all of these things, right? Where did you come from? What language do you speak? Blah, 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 blah. But you had no questions on religious uh, identities in the workplace, right? So that's step one, making sure that you're considering um, religious uh, accommodations um, and the need for uh, and the support for religious practices in your workplace. And that, you know, it's a, a necessary uh, dimension of diversity that you are um, calling out, looking for, assessing, and considering in your work. Number two, where are your staff going to pray throughout the day, right? Um, a lot of people pray throughout the day, multiple times a day. If you're Muslim, you got to do it five times, right? Educate yourself, inform yourself on the religious practices, and then learn how to best to support them, right? Um, a lot of organizations are, you know, shying away from, you know, quote-unquote prayer rooms, and they're calling them quiet rooms, right? But no one's going to go pray in a quiet room, right? They're carving out spaces and creating all these places, but a quiet room where people are bending down, doing downward dog is not a place where you're going to find someone who wants to go and you know pray throughout the day. So make sure your prayer rooms are truly for prayer. They're not for yoga. They're not for meditation. They're not for all this other stuff. Um, also think about, do you have the right holy books in there, right? Is there the Torah? Do you have the Quran? Do you have a Bible? Make sure there's a, a variety of religious books. Think about, you know, can people take off their shoes before entering? Many people take their shoes off to pray. Um, do you have water nearby, right? A lot of people need to wash their hands, wash their face, wash their feet, whatever it is. Um, is there a source of water, right? You're erecting a space. Is it facing the, the right direction? Does it have light coming in? Are people going to actually use it, right? So do things that are intentional. I love that because that's the title of this podcast, right? Be intentional, be inclusive, consult with the the variety of, of, of people within your space, the variety of religions uh, that you may have represented and learn how best to support and accommodate them. Don't create, well, let's just create a prayer room for prayer room's sake. It's not facing the right direction. There's no water source. Um, there's You don't even have the right holy books and someone's bending down doing downward dog. No one's gonna actually go in there, right? Um, put a shoe rack outside, let them take their shoes off. And then consider things like um, time off requests um, you know, are you celebrating only the, the Christian uh, religious holidays, right? Easter and Christmas and 
you know, whatever, right? There's so many more holidays. Um, so allow, you know, give people a bank of time and allow them to take the days that suits them, right? It's beneficial for your organization if you do it that way so that you have continued coverage in times where you may normally be closed, right? You wanna close for two weeks at Christmas time, well, why not stay open? Because people who don't celebrate Christmas can actually be on site, right? And there are a lot of religious holidays, you know, Ramadan, Eid, uh, Hanukkah, and, and many, many others, right? Those are just some of the major ones um, that uh, come up throughout the year that um, we can be intentional about giving people the time off for without them having to take vacation days, right? That's just not an inclusive way um, to go about it. So be fair, be reasonable, be equitable. <laughs> Janelle, you're suggesting vacation days and then a bank of days that people can take for anything that they want to? Is, is that what I'm hearing you say? Well, why not give people a bank of days throughout the year, everyone can get the same number of days and you you use them as you'd like to, right? If that's, you know, if you're giving everybody, let's say you're giving everyone three weeks, three weeks vacation, plus, I don't know, eight statutory holidays. So let's call it, you know, let's call it a bank of, I'm making up this number, you get a bank of 50 days that you can take throughout the year. Allow people to take them when they want to. Don't designate it to say, well, you, you know, you've got to take those days at Christmas, you've got to take, you know, Good Friday off. It, let people do what they need to do to support their own religious practices and just be re respectful. It's just, it just, you know, it's just easy. That's actually a best practice that we recommend to our clients at NWC, just to have floating yeah. holidays yeah. Um, for people to use as they, as they choose that they want to. I might be an adoptive parent and I want to take you know, adoptive parents day off to celebrate, you know, so mm -hmm. that is a great, great best practice. So um, I put in chat if we have any questions for people to bring questions to Janelle and Lenroy, I saw you put in a question in chat and I wanted to ask, did you want to come off um, mute and present your question to Janelle? Yes, I can. Can you Thank hear me you. good? Great. Hey, great session today. Great conversation. Lots and lots Thank of topics. I was actually you. curious about the actual defining moment. You spoke about kind of the mm -hmm. journey, but I'm interested in was it a defining moment that you pivoted from being seeking employment and then I'm going to do this full time? Kind of what happened yeah. and um, what advice do you give for those that are out there pivoting as well? Thank you. Thank you for that question. I would would say for me it was a combination of things but the most pivotal moment for me was um the a amy cooper incident right i think the proximity of um you know my workplace termination i was laid off for two years i found a job um right before the pandemic i was happy it was you know at a higher level it was a director level i was previously a manager but it paid me forty thousand dollars less um but it was closer to home. I no longer had like an hour and a half commute um, in each direction. And I decided, you know what, I'm not going to, I'm going to take this job, right? But I asked them to not start me at the bottom of the range. They had, you know, $40,000 drop, but I thought, okay, at least can I, can I not start at the bottom of your range? It's minuscule, eight minutes down the road, higher stat title, blah, blah, blah. And I asked them to waive the probationary period for the benefits to begin. Um, I'm a mom, you know, mom of two, um, uh, I earned more than my spouse at the time. And, 
you know, we needed, we needed that benefits coverage. And I said to them, you know, can we waive that probationary period so that the benefits can actually start right away? I was already receiving coverage from my previous employer still. And they said to me, um, sure, not a problem. You know, I will, uh, my hiring manager said, I'll look, I'll look at it. I'll take a look. And if it is that, um, uh, you know, there's room in the budget, I can, you know, maybe start you at the middle of the range. And if you're a rock star, we'll get you to the top of that range in three months. I said, okay, great. And she said, I'll go back to HR and I'll ask them about um, the waiver of the period for benefits. The next thing that came across was an email telling me that the job offer was rescinded. Um, and eventually, you know, basically the gist of it was that I was being too greedy. I had asked for too much um, in negotiating for myself to not start at the bottom of their minuscule range and to um, waive the probationary period. They, they took back the job offer. And the sad thing about it was um, they could have said, you know, unfortunately we're, we're locking down tomorrow. Like the province is closing. Um, you know, due to the pandemic, we'll revisit your opportunity or this offer at a, you know, another point in time. We don't know when, blah, blah, blah. They didn't do that. They blamed it on me. Um, so there was that um, after, you know, celebrating with my family, going out shopping, buying clothes, seeing the office where I'm going to be working, meeting the colleagues that I was going to be leading, um, getting excited about a job, um, having it rescinded was after two years of a layoff was just devastating, right? I was, um, I would say suicidal at that point. I contemplated um, even taking my own life. Um, so there was that. And then still I was like, okay, got to get back in the race, got to look for jobs. Um, started, you know, was on LinkedIn, still looking on the job pages. George Floyd happened, but Ahmad Aubrey happened. George Floyd happened. There was some incidents in Canada where um, people were also killed. And then the very next day after George Floyd was, you know, Amy Cooper wrangling this dog in the park. Um, and calling the police on, on, on Christian Cooper. And that set me off. I just, I had enough. I said, okay, enough with these organizations telling us where we belong. It had happened to me, you know, obviously I, I don't belong where I was. Um, you know, I had a leader actually denigrate me and tell me, you know, I don't have the leadership competencies she requires, right? In this massive corporation. Um, there was no other place that I could have worked or been, right, um, with my leadership skills and, and abilities and all the things that I'd been through. Um, so for me, it was it was just combination of factors, but still I was looking for a job. And then after Amy Cooper happened, I thought, okay, no more, no more. I've, I've just had enough of, of white, white women in particular um, telling us where we belong, what to do, how to do it. I've got what it takes to do this for myself. And I, I just went full force, um, full speed ahead. Advice to people who want to, to do this, um, I definitely say, um, believe in yourself, right? If you've got a skill or a talent, I don't care what it is, if you can, you know, draw or paint or dance or sing, um, leverage that, leverage your talents, your skills, your abilities, believe in yourself, hang out your own shingle, um, and find ways to connect with people around what you're doing and um, sell your services. It just, I think it was the best decision um, I ever, ever, ever made. And uh, I'll never, never um, not have my company on the side. I will never not do this again. And it's funny, I never thought I'd be an entrepreneur. Um, you know, I've socialized like most of us to go to school, get a job, go to school, get a job, not go to school and create a job. Um, but I highly recommend it. Um, the fear was really holding me back, never thinking, okay, I, I don't know how I'm going to be a business owner. What am I going to, what am I going to sell? Right. Um, 
But once you figure it out, you know, I had some divine inspiration as well, I would say, um, when I couldn't stop thinking about starting my own business, I'd be sleeping and, and dreaming about, okay, what am I going to call the company? And who am I going to serve? And, you know, who am I going to support? And what would my, my mission be? And I would get up in the middle of the night and feverishly be taking notes in the dark on my phone. Um, that's when I knew I had to, I had to launch. So I launched, I launched in August, uh, or I incorporated in August of 2020. Um, so that's to tell you how quickly after May 25th or May 26th, when George Floyd and Amy Cooper happened to, you know, August 19th is when I officially incorporated and then I launched right after Labor Day. So um, that's how quickly it was that I'm not looking for a job anymore. Enough of me searching <laughs> on LinkedIn for a job like that was enough. Thank you for sharing and thank you for being so transparent and so vulnerable mm -hmm. um, because you've showed us, you've modeled for us how personal experiences, personal rejection, you were rejected personally, you were hurting, but it took the things that were happening on the outside to really make you begin to live your full purpose, you know, yeah. who you really are. And you mentioned earlier on about Black women letting your light shine bright. So it mm. took all those, it took Amy Cooper yes. um, in the park to yes. make you reach out to be the best version of yourself. So thank you yeah. for that. For that it took a whole lot of white women pushing me out of organizations. Yes. And honestly, it was the 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 uh the rescinding of that job offer was also a racialized woman. She was right, you know, she's a brown woman, but she had to go to the white CEO and another white man to to you know have the decisions made. Um and it was them that you know told her what to do because from her end, when we had the conversation, all was well, she was going to consider it. Um, so it just, it spoke to me that here we go again with white people deciding, you know, our, our future and what was going to be best for us. And I, I just had had enough of that. So. Thank you for sharing. <clears throat> um, Andrea, you, you had a question. Did you want to come off mute to socialize your question or did you want me to read it out for you? Andrea? Maybe she's gone. Oh, she's pain. Oh, she's there. She says yeah. to please yeah. read. Can you read it for her? Absolutely. What recommend? What recommendations can you offer to businesses mm -hmm. who want to be inclusive without them constantly targeting the lone member of a marginalized group to put together the DEI event? Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, I'll start by saying, you know, well, that's a boundary that. If you're a person of color that you just need to set for yourself, if you don't have event planning skills, backgrounds, or even desire, tell your employers no, right? I, I'm not an event planner. That's not what I'm good at. I was hired to do X, Y, or Z, not this. Um, it's an absolute no, right? Just set that boundary and say no. Um, if you feel compelled to do it and you can't set that boundary, um, you know, a lot of times it's happening to employee resource group members, you know, you've signed up to be on this task force or this committee, and then they, you know, download all the responsibility for planning, you know, Black History Month to you or what have you. Um, for the organizations that do that, I would say, you know, you're harming your staff, first of all, right, who may not want to do that. So always seek volunteers first. Um, number two, um, I would say, you know, reach out to the experts, right? There are professionals out there who can event plan and do these things on your behalf that you don't have to um, tap your extremely you know, tired and exhausted work, workforce to 
add responsibilities to them without compensation. Um, so I would say, you know, compensate your people if it is that, um, you know, there's a stipend that you can give, it can be small, but show appreciation, show, give recognition where it's due for the, the, the labor, right? Um, the days of like unpaid labor should be over, right? Like we should be compensated and rewarded for our skills and our talents and our abilities um, and our hard work, right? If we're doing something for you, um, just compensate us, you know, stop uh, taking us for granted. And so, yeah, I would say set those boundaries if you're a staff member um, and you don't want to do something and you don't have the talents, then just say no. And if if that is you, you're being exploited, ask for compensation, you know, inquire, you know, what, what will we be paying our our resource group members um, or our volunteers who, who speak at this event or who you know, put this together, what recognition can we give them? Can we reward them in some way? Thank you so much. Tina, Tina McDaniel, you had a question. Did you wanna come off mute to ask Janelle a question? Your question? Sure, I will. There's so much good conversation. I don't even know if I remember my question. I almost <laughs> feel like there needs to be a part two of this discussion. I feel like it's my story. Um, I think my question was around, uh, you talked about exclusionary practices and evaluating mm -hmm. exclusionary practices within an organization. Mm -hmm. Is there a recommendation um, for a guideline or a tool that would be a good resource to begin that process within an organization? Yeah, I mean, I, I always customize everything that I do. So my instinct is like, I'll create that tool. Um, and I do that. Um, I figure out what an organization needs and then I customize objective tools and frameworks that they can use and apply to do their work um, so that you know those personal biases and things don't come into play. Um, are there, is there something external that I can think of off the bat? Let me think on that, Tina. And if there's something that um, comes to me, I mean, there's, there's stuff that I, I'm always reading, right? I'm always looking at um, articles on Medium and Forbes and New York Times and things like that. Um, if you drop your email in the chat and I find something, I promise you I'll send you something. <laughs> okay, thank you so much. You've already shared some great ideas, so I appreciate that. And Yeah, there's always objective things that, um, objective frameworks. Corn Ferry always has, has um, some things that they put out on inclusive leadership. They're always talking about leadership. Um, and sometimes once in a while, there's some great um, resources or objective tools in them that you can, you know, rinse and repeat and use for whatever you need to do. Thank you. You're welcome. Shaniqua, would you like to come off mute and share your question? Um, can you all hear me? Sometimes yes. my mic doesn't work on Zoom. Um, good morning. My question morning. was, what resources, and I think you might have just answered some of that just now, but just kind of wondering what resources you use to kind of stay abreast of the DEI trends to make sure you're pretty much on top of your game and your work here. Yes, yeah, so I would say I'm constantly learning. Um, I'm constantly enrolled in some educational program in order to, to stay on top. LinkedIn Learning has tons and tons of free resources, so let's start there. Um, I just completed um, a workplace uh, in, uh, mental health and leadership program through uh, Morneau Chappelle uh, and EFAP provider here in Canada um, in association with Queen's University. So um, there's a mental health work leadership uh, program that you can sign up for. I just also completed Indigenous um, awareness certification program through First Nations University. So, you know, find the courses out there. There's lots through Cornell that you don't even have to pay for. 
if it is that you want to um, enhance your understanding of reconciliation and um, how to reconcile with you know, our colonial past and indigenous peoples and things like that. So I would say start there with the, you know, the foundations and the basics and then look on LinkedIn Learning. There's always um, courses and resources. And then in terms of what I'm doing, I'm constantly reading. Um, I read all the time, all day, every day. Um, I just mentioned a few resources. I'm on Forbes, um, I'm looking at Medium. I'm on, um, you know, looking at New York Times. What are they saying? I follow um, anti-racism writers and practitioners. Um, my favorites are um, Dana Brownlee, uh, Janice Gassum, uh, those two write for Forbes. Um, Sharon Hurley Hall, um, she has a fantastic anti-racism newsletter that I highly recommend. Um, so look those, uh, those ladies up. If you're reading anything that they put out, you're constantly gonna be learning about anti-racism um, and inclusivity and how to change uh, organizations for the better. Janice is fantastic. Um, and Sharon Hurley Hall, yeah, she'll also, Sharon's newsletter, she likes to expose other anti-racism writers. So she will um, put you in touch. So I'm constantly reading. Um, I read things from, you know, feminist theory and thought. I read, um, you know, lots of, lots of things, even from allies that they put out. Um, I'm connected to a great group of even white allies who, who write um, Emily, oh, I'm forgetting her name, Emily O. o Weltman. She's a fantastic one to follow, um, constantly writing about the patriarchy and, you know, um, how do we dismantle the patriarchy? So definitely look her up. She's on LinkedIn. Um, as of all, all, all the ladies, um, you can find them all. And of course, Nika, right? Dr. Nika White, like, let's be real. <laughs> you got to connect with Dr. I was, Nika I was White. waiting for you to say that. I was waiting for Nika White. Yes. <laughs> you're, all, you're all here, right? So, right. I mean, that, isn't, that doesn't need to be said, but she's um, also somebody that I follow, connect with. Um, if you look at the, the, the guests on my YouTube series, to connect with all of them for starters. If you're reading their books, you're looking at Teresa M. Robinson, you're reading um, Black Exhaustion. She writes a book called Black Exhaustion about literally being, you know, um, tired of like the white Karens in the workplace. Um, I'm quoted in that book, by the way. Yeah, so am I. <laughs> <laughs> it's so nice to be, have one of my, having, you know, she took, I think 50 black women and she, um, we were able to write a little bit of a statement Right. And uh, it's kind of sprinkled throughout that book. So get right. a look at Black Exhaustion and then you can read, you know, like I have, I buy, I support the people that I follow. So here's Minda Hartz. She has a book called Right Within and it's how to heal from workplace trauma, you know, like buy the books. Um, Sharon Hurley Hall that I just mentioned, you know, she explores shadism. Um, Tarnished is one that I'm also in. It's, uh, by you know a white woman by Mary an older like white lady by the name of Marianne Kerr that you know kind of we befriended on LinkedIn I have a whole chapter in here about how to create equitable inclusive workplaces um this is a mental health book again by Aisha St. Tish all about you know how you're just getting started and it's got real life stories and how women can step into their power navigate the world of uncertainty and rewrite what success means. So I buy books, I follow people. Um, I'm constantly listening, learning, reading from other practitioners who um, are enriching me and you know filling my cup up. Dr. Nika White, you know, continue to watch her show. And uh, that's kind of how I, 
I stay grounded and uh, connected to what's happening. And I, I try to shut off the news as much as I can, right? Because I get it through my social media anyway. So I actually didn't see the news last weekend. I heard the news and I saw it coming across my feed and I knew what had happened, but I didn't turn on CNN and watch it ad nauseum like I would have done in the past. Um, so I'm, I'm blocking out the things that are going to be harmful to me and my psyche and I'm bringing in things that are going to be positive and healing. So that's so my now recommendation. I have to you. agree. I have to agree with Tina. We probably need a part two. There was another question on yeah. how you pivoted from move from looking for a job to running a successful business. So I wanted to thank you. We're at the top of the hour. Thank you for this time. You have filled our cup with so much information. It's thank evident you. to us that you love the work that you're doing and you're in the right place. So thank you everyone. I'm just going to ask for everyone to come off mute and thank Janelle for this time that she spent with us today. Thank you. I'd thank be happy you. to be back. Thank you. Thank you. And if you, you want to connect with so I'm on LinkedIn. You can connect with me at All Things Equitable on all major platforms. Okay. Thank Absolutely. you. Thank you, everyone. Have, have a great weekend and we'll see you next week. Dr. Nika White will be back. She was here Bye. watching and speaking in the background, but she'll be back in person next week. Bye. Thank you all so much. Thank, thank you, you, Rachel. Everyone. Thank this you. This is a good conversation. Thank yes. you. Yes. Thank you.